Welcome to Reflections of Darkness. This is your gorgeous drag horror hostess, Evil, coming to you from my lair of eternal damnation. I hope all my pod people out there are enjoying a nice three-day weekend, and if not, well, try not to work too hard. <laughs> Don't forget to follow me on all my socials, and all that info is over at evilqueensf.com, and please take a second to rate and review the podcast on wherever you're listening, and also hop over to IMDb and rate the podcast and or individual podcast episodes that you like or don't like or whatever. Well, enough with self-promotion. How about we jump into some quick reflections? Quick reflection number one, Dead and Breakfast from 2004. Now, this one is either a fly-under-the-radar cult hit or no one knows about it. It's got lots of great actors, it's goofy and weird, the effects are good, the soundtrack is awesome, and it's just fun to watch. It knows it's a comedy horror and runs with it. So I give Dead and Breakfast from 2004 8 out of 10 terrible French accents. <laughs> if you know, you know. <laughs> Quick reflection number two. Body Melt from 1993. This is a fun, gory Australian goo fest. If you don't like gory, splattery movies, don't watch it. But if you do and you like dark comedy horror, then give this one a go and thank me later. <laughs> Also, if you haven't dug into Australian horror, you should. They have some real gems. So I give Body Melt from 1993, 8.5 out of 10 muscle twins that aren't twins. <laughs> Quick reflection, number three. Sauna the Dead, a fairy tale, 2016. Uh, this is an LGBT horror short that you can find on YouTube. It was a great setting, good acting, and the effects were really well done. I think this could be a really fun full-length movie, or at least a storyline in a full zombie movie. So I give Sauna the Dead, a fairy tale from 2016, 9 out of 10, uh, I miss bathhouses. <laughs> well, I think that's enough quick reflections for tonight. So settle in, grab a drink, and turn off your phone, and enjoy tonight's main feature. Tonight I am reviewing Murder by Phone from 1982. Now, this movie is not streaming anywhere, and I don't think it's even been officially released on DVD either, but there is an okay version on YouTube. Okay. Um, with that being said, I would highly suggest watching it because it was surprisingly good, and there's a lot in it that if I was to sit here and explain everything, it would be like my Child's Play episode. Too long. <laughs> but anyway, here we go. We start off in a subway station in a city somewhere. It's not clear yet where we are. And we see a couple payphones on a platform. Now, I'm not sure if I've explained this on previous podcasts, but before the age of cell phones, payphones used to be everywhere. And as the name suggests, you put money in them for the allotted amount of time calling someone. And some used to have this little glass booth you would go in to make your call. And almost all of them had this huge phone book dangling from them. Oh, those were the days when it was okay to let your fingers do the walking. <laughs> Nowadays, you see a payphone and it looks like it should be in a museum. <laughs> anyway, we're in a subway station. There's a bag lady, some street toughs, and a girl, and an old man. The toughs knock the old guy down, getting on the escalators, just as one of the payphones starts to ring. So the girl answers. But then it's just this dial tone, and then this weird sound that starts, and the girl starts shaking and gripping her purse like she's having a seizure. 
Then her eyes and her nose start bleeding and you hear this lightning strike sound. Not a thunder sound, but like lightning. I don't know how to explain it. And then there's this bright electric flash and she's thrown across the station and onto the escalator and her dead body just rises to the top slowly. <laughs> this is an amazing way to start a movie. Then they look back at the phone and it's burning and melting. Ugh, amazing. Now the opening credits. But wait, it says bells, not murder by phone. Hmm. Fun fact, this movie had a few different names, including Bells, Hell's Bells, The Calling, and Murder by Phone. I think Bells was the UK video release title and the original working title, but it is Murder by Phone on YouTube. Anyway, title card, Bells, Murder by Phone. <laughs> and we find ourselves in the office of our main character, Nat Bridger, played by Richard Chamberlain. And his phone is ringing, ooh. And the opening music is great. And it looks like he's some sort of college professor, I think of ecological science maybe? It's unclear at this point. Cut to him driving to the farm of the parents of the girl who was killed in the opening, and him promising to find out what happened. And he drives off, more great ominous music, and we focus on another phone in an office, and the person on the other end speaks. Smith, you stole it from me, Gordon. It should have been mine. Then weird tone, electric bang, kills the guy and shoots him through the window down into the parking lot below, still in his little roller chair. <laughs> I wonder what he stole. Hmm. Cut to the 12th annual Natural Ecological Symposium and we meet Dr. Stanley Markowitz, who was slash is Bridger's mentor. They catch up and Dr. Markowitz offers to have Bridger stay at his house. How nice. Cut to Bridger calling the police to get Susan's things. She was the girl killed at the beginning in the subway platform. And the call is a little annoying. I'm calling on behalf of Mr. Phil Thorner. His daughter, Sandra. Thorner. Thorner? T-H-O-R-N-E-R. -E yes, sir. Uh, I'd like to see you about his daughter. The family asked me to collect her first. Are you a relative? Well, I've got the letter of authorization with me. So you're not a relative, right? But, uh, you see, sir, they've, they've countersigned the letter. It won't take yeah, a moment. Yeah, 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 gotcha. What do you want? According to her father, there's just a couple of suitcases. And the uh, family name is... Uh, Thorner. Who signed the authorization? Her father, Phil Thorner. You're their lawyer? I mean, I'm a friend. Bridger, BR. <laughs> Why don't I just bring this letter? Wow. Rude. Ugh. Cut to the police station and the lieutenant not being very helpful either. This police station needs some customer service training. <laughs> What's your line, partner? Like you, pollution. Yeah? Well, for all I know, you could be some geek off the street who wants to make love to her shoes. You got some identification. I take it the attitude, the uh, wardrobe, the posture designed to let the public in on just who's in charge here. Well, it's a second-rate charade. Your style doesn't impress me. In fact, it sucks. So Bridger takes the girl's stuff and leaves. So Bridger gets to Dr. Markowitz's house, where he will be staying while in town. Not sure what town. I don't think they've said. This is a Canadian film, but I think they're trying to make it a kind of generic city wherever. So he starts looking through the girl's suitcase, but then we cut to a man walking to the tax office. 
more ominous music, and we see another not-so-helpful person and her nameplate, Mrs. J. Anderson. You say you made payments, but we got no records, you've got no proof. Go. But by that time, the place will be auctioned off or plowed under or paved over. I think someone's going to get a phone call. <laughs> Cut back to Dr. Markowitz giving Bridger a little tough love. You know, I want to say Richard Chamberlain is attractive, but there's something just off about his looks in this movie. I think he's just a bit too thin, especially his face, even though he's trying to hide it with that beard, but that's just not helping. But he has great hair and it fills out his jeans all right, so yeah, it's fine. <sighs> So we see Bridger take the subway to the station where the girl was killed, looking for clues as to why a 19-year-old had a heart attack. And he finds the homeless woman from the beginning. And she tells him what she knows. And he checks the phone, and it's brand new. Hmm. Cut to a phone ringing. Uh-oh, I wonder who it is. Well, it looks like we are in Miss J. Anderson's home. And she's just as pleasant here as she is at work. Bye-bye, Mrs. Anderson. <laughs> This is a great death. Bloody eyes and nose. A dishwater explosion into a china hutch. Amazing. We cut back to Bridger's room and he's looking at the girl's stuff closer. And he looks at a pair of earrings and one of them's all burnt. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> so Bridger heads off to the phone company, which I don't know what you think of when you think of phone company, but I don't think you think of this modern megalith of a building he's heading into. But whatever. So he heads over to the suspiciously well-marked customer relations desk, and he asks about the subway phone. Hits some bureaucracy, so he gives them a dash of Karen. May I help you? Well, it's nothing too serious. More a matter of service, really. Uh, mechanical or otherwise? Strictly mechanical. Repair. And your home phone? Well, not exactly. It's a public telephone, a museum subway station. Thank you for letting us know. We'll have someone... It's already been repaired. I'm interested in knowing why. Well, you might try a letter to our service people. Well, I thought I'd try in person, as you can see. Perhaps your supervisor could give me a hand. I'm afraid this really isn't the right department to answer your question. Then I would like to speak to your supervisor. I'm sorry, Mr... Bridger. And let's not make a big deal out of this. Uh, please, your supervisor. I'll be right back. So while he waits for the supervisor, he starts talking to the lady in the atrium that's putting up a mural. She's played by Sarah Botsford, who played Lady Sarah in one of my non-horror favorites, Jumpin' Jack Flash. Anyway, they have a little back and forth, but they glaze over a key detail. Dollar says you don't make it past second base. A place like this, I'd want odds. Guy came in last week. I figured he was about a 10 to 1 shot. Then he pulled a gun out. Good thing I didn't bet. Dangerous work. What about the guy with the gun? Oh, well, I guess it's not important. I don't know. So he meets the supervisor, who is this cocky management douche canoe, and Bridger wants to know what happened to the phone that was replaced, and it seems management douche already knows who he is and what he does, even without being told. Hmm. Weird. Maybe I could just find out why the phone was replaced. <laughs> I suspect it didn't work. Could we speak with someone in your service department? With all respect, Mr. Um... Bridger. With all respect, Mr. Bridger, and I'm not saying you environment people don't do a lot of good. It's just that, well, statistics show sometimes the do-gooder attitude arises in people who are, shall we say, 
basically paranoid. Anything else? Name of the repairman. I see. Well, maybe you've got a point. Why don't you have Miss Fremantle take down the particulars and whatnot, and uh, we'll get back to you at your hotel. Well, thanks for your time. Well, Mr. Websold, uh, I didn't say what I did or even where I'm staying. Or did I? So Bridger leaves and sees the artist, Ridley Taylor, RT for short, outside. And they have another little interaction, and he asks they're out for dinner. Dinner at 9 p.m. Who the hell eats that late? I mean, I know I'm hundreds of years old at this point, but come on, dinner at 9? Side note, a few years back I went to Buenos Aires, humble brag, and there it's culture to eat dinner late, so I would always be in these fancy restaurants that were basically deserted around 7-8, but I guess I didn't know they ate late in Canada too. Uh Cut to Bridger, and he has a plan to go back to the museum subway station. He calls the phone company to tell them that one of the receivers is missing, hangs up, then cuts it off with some bolt cutters, then sits and waits for the repairman. Now this would never work. We all know that thing would sit there without a phone for months before they did anything. But then again, it was the early 80s in Canada. You know, maybe they had fleets of repairmen just waiting for these calls. But I don't think so. And it is a movie, so whatever. (laughs) Cut to the killer POV and ominous music, and he's trying to get into the bank, but it's locked. And you can see by his watch and clock, they should still be open. But he looks through the window and sees they're having a birthday party. So he taps on the window with his umbrella. And this blonde girl with a big name tag on comes over and is kind of a see you next Tuesday. I think someone might be getting a phone call. (laughs) Spoiler. (laughs) We cut back to the subway station and there's the repair guy who would be cute, but his smile's a bit jank. But anyway, so Bridger learns something interesting. Somebody really did a number. Clean as a whistle. Bolt cutters. Second one they zapped down here this month? Yeah. Bolt cutters again? No. I couldn't hardly believe it. I'm sure he must have taken a flamethrower to the receiver. Just the receiver, huh? Yeah. There wasn't even a mark on the box there. Don't really make sense. Couldn't it have been the voltage. Maybe some in the electroacoustic transducer. You're some kind of phone freak? Gym teacher. You know, basketball or phys ed. Light shine up. <laughs> yeah, how about that? Maybe a voltage malfunction. Nah. It's only about 40 volts going through there when you're talking. About 100 when it actually rings. Never enough amps to melt them all. Melt them all? You mean it's happened more than once? Oh, yeah. You got a couple others down at the lab there. Like uh, some hot dog must have taken a look at his phone bill and uh, bought himself a blowtorch. <laughs> Cut to Connie being dropped off from her date. Who is Connie, you ask? Well, it's the blonde at the bank that told our killer to come back tomorrow. And guess what you can hear? Her phone ringing from outside. Inside, we get to see her phone. And this phone is one that I wanted so bad back in the 80s. It's Mickey Mouse standing while holding the yellow receiver. Ugh, I wanted this one and the Garfield phone, neither of which I ever got. But, oh well, such is life. Anyway, Connie better answer the phone. (laughs) And she does. Bye-bye, Connie. And they burnt up my Mickey phone. Rude. Now we are at late dinner with Bridger and RT, talking about the phone company. 
and she just casually mentions she has access to all the blueprints and tours and labs and whatnot at the phone company. And I think Bridger has a plan. As they're leaving the restaurant, someone is following them and taking pictures. Hmm. Back at Dr. Markowitz's house, we find out that he's working for the phone company, too, as a consultant. Bum, bum, bum. Is he the reason that guy knew who he was? I bet so. This whole movie is some big conspiracy. But why? Wouldn't the phone company, if they knew someone was killing people over the phone, want the police to know? I mean, I understand not scaring the public at large, but at least cover your ass by telling the police and not doing all this cloak and dagger shit. Whatever. So then Bridger goes back to the police, and this time he's not playing. Mira, what do I use to get rid of you? A stick, a spray, or a roll on? Look, you son of a bitch, you're a public servant, not a stand up comic. I've come to you for help. Bridger, if I was an LA cop, I'd shoot you right here in the elevator. Since I'm not, I'm gonna let you talk before I shoot you. One, I want you to call the coroner. Cardiac arrest as a result of acute respiratory failure. That's what the coroner report says. You know, some people got a memory for baseball statistics. Me, I memorize COD, cause of death. And find out if those symptoms are consistent with electric shock. Two, I want you to get a writ. Subpoena the paperwork of the lineman who repaired the telephone at the museum station. Three, check through your jackets and see if there have been any similar deaths in the past couple of days. When you found all that out, you can get me at 555-7668. You're telling me that a telephone killed the girl. I'm leaning in that direction. Well, it seems like the lieutenant is starting to get interested in the case. Now we cut to RT and Bridger, and he wants her to use her position to get him into the phone company. So she obliges and gives him some info. Then he goes to get a photo to doctor her ID to look like him. While walking down the street after the photo, Bridger realizes he's being followed and photographed and confronts the guy, breaks his camera and grabs his wallet. And he has a phone company ID in it. Bum, 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 more conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> but the police come to break it up and Bridger gets arrested so he calls Dr. Markowitz to bail him out so next day Bridger and Dr. Markowitz go on the tour of the phone company so Dr. Markowitz is helping Bridger so that's good side note did they give tours of phone companies? do they still? Hmm. it might be interesting maybe more back in the day than it is today because today it's probably just a room full of computers well, the tour guide makes a little estimate on the year 2000. By the year 2000, there will be 1.4 trillion phones in the world, including cable, switches, long-distance facilities. The cost will amount to approximately $1,000 per phone. That's what I call an industry. Um, I think that may have been a little wrong. <laughs> Maybe. As the tour continues, Bridger breaks off from the group to see what's happening behind the scenes. He puts on a coat and gets a clipboard. Perfect disguise. <laughs> and he starts wandering around. And he never uses his fake ID. Or at least we never see it. Maybe it got cut. I don't know. He wanders in a room with a bunch of random equipment beeping and blinking and a man testing out what looks like a version of what the killer is using. And the guy thinks that Bridger is here with the people who are looking into what's been happening. Aha. So they do know that it's the phones doing it. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> so he goes down to the room where they're supposed to be working on the phones. And a guard just lets him in. And guess what he finds? A bunch of melted phones. And some more ominous music. <laughs> As he leaves, he gets identified. And the building gets evacuated of all non-phone company personnel. 
but Bridger's smart and evacuates with the construction workers in a hard hat. He gets to RT's house and the phone company is there confiscating all their stuff back and showing them pictures they have of the two of them together. This movie is so weird. And I get like vibes from like the movies The Stuff and Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I don't know why. So she's fired and she is rightfully pissed, but he kisses her and then she's all better and on his side. <laughs> Those must be some magic lips. Ooh, it's cocktail time. Was this before or after their sex? Must have been after. Bridger's in the shower. Uh-oh, the phone rings. But it's okay. It's just Dr. Mark Wicks. And ooh, we get some naked Richard Chamberlain. Well, through frosted glass naked anyways. But it's better than nothing. <laughs> Uh, Dr. Markowitz says he will talk to the president of the phone company that he knows personally. Cut to Dr. Markowitz's house, and his phone starts to ring. <gasps> yes? Uh, Rockwitz. Fred, we've got trouble. Bridger has seen the phones. I know that. The question is, what are you doing about it? He wants to go to the mass media. You've been paid to contain it. Look, all right. You said that if you had enough lead time... Your people could solve the problem. What we do and how we do it is our business. Ever since that student of his died, you said he might be trouble. That we agreed was your business. Now, what the hell are you going to do about it? Look, he is out of control. He knows I'm talking to you. He's going to want an answer. So give him answers, Markowitz. Get him the hell back on track. Damn, I thought he was on the good guy's side. Guess not. Uh-oh. His phone rings again. And we almost get to see the killer while he's using his phone lightning machine. And Dr. Markowitz is toast. And his glasses explode and he goes flying through a window. Bye-bye, Dr. Markowitz. Next morning, the phone rings at RT's apartment. And it's the lieutenant telling Bridger that Markowitz is dead from lightning. So Bridger and the lieutenant go to see the president of the phone company, Mr. Waits. And we get some answers. Commissioner sent you. You talked to Stanley Markowitz last night. I explained everything to the commissioner. What did you explain? That's not your concern. It sure as hell is. If a telephone can be a lethal weapon. Just exactly who are you? We are the forces of goodness and mercy, Mr. Waits. I am Mara. He is Bridger. Yes. He's... I know the name. Then you know what I've seen. A few telephones under repair. To hell with him. Let's go to the media. You really think that's a responsible thing to do? Create mass hysteria. Get us shut down. Do you realize what that would mean? About two dozen people would die every 60 seconds because they couldn't contact a doctor, a policeman, a fireman. What a price to pay just to stop one single madman. You had any ransom demands? No. Malcontents, weirdos. It's all being looked after by the brightest and best at every level. Yeah, every level except police. The commissioner is being kept fully informed. Now, please, if you don't mind. I do mind, Wiz. I mind the smug attitude where you dictate information to the law. That says you're above the law. Ooh, told him. <laughs> On the way out, you see RT packing up her stuff, and he gives her a code for the phone to know it's him calling so she can answer. Very, very smart. Bridger goes back to Markowitz's house, and the ominous music starts up. We cut back to the outside of the phone company and RT leaving as the tour guide comes out to say he's sorry that she's leaving and he puts her in a cab and overhears where it's taking her. Back at Markowitz's, Bridger finds the tape that was recording Dr. Markowitz's calls and it's all melted, but he gets the tape out and rolls it onto a different cassette tape. 
very high tech. <laughs> then we see someone using the white pages to find the address that matched RT, and the killer dials her number, but luckily she's in the shower. Uh-oh, spoiler. Do we know who the killer is? I think so. Uh, okay, it's ringing and ringing and ringing. She gets out of the shower, but he disconnects just as she answers. Ooh, that was close. And why didn't she wait for the code? Oh, well. Then it rings again, and it's the code, but the killer starts to call at the same time. Who will get through first, Bridger or the killer? So much tension. <laughs> Spoiler, it's Bridger. So he heads over to her house to play the damaged tape for her to see if she knows the voice. And yep, it's the tour guide. But why would he be killing people? So they find the tour guide's address and Bridger heads over. It looks like the house is abandoned or condemned or something. Back at RT's apartment, the phone rings and it's the tour guide. But RT is smart, and she throws the phone as it explodes. Bridger gets to RT, and the lieutenant is there with assistant police commissioner. And they head over to the phone company's president's place and strong-arm him into helping them get the tour guide, and they have a plan. Clayton hit Stanley because he was moving in on him. If he's convinced he got Ridley, that leaves only me, and he knows where I'm going to be tomorrow morning. Are you set up to, to trace if he calls? Tracing's a myth, Bridger. He has asked the size of us could take five, maybe six minutes. I'll keep him on the line if he calls. What if you can't? He was on the line all of six seconds with me. You know anything about electrical flashback? Of course. We've got couplers hooked into the system to guard against uh, vaporizing the ESS. Exactly. But if Clayton hasn't bothered to install couplers on his system, then we can redirect sound and voltage back to the point of origin. It's nice to see all those years behind books paid off. So they set up their reverse machine at the conference and have a special phone set up that Bridger has to keep him on long enough to trace the call. Ooh, I smell a tense nail-biting scene coming up. <laughs> Ooh, it's showtime. The call is coming in through the building operator, so Bridger goes to the special phone and answers it, and we get a little of why Clayton, the tour guide, is doing this. Now listen, Clayton. You're a brilliant man, Clayton, but you've got to let us help you. You damn fool. I'm helping you. I'm helping you get rid of the world's real garbage. All those people who make us feel stupid and inadequate. Who treat integrity like dirt, who denies our dignity. Was Sandra Thorner one of those people? Subway station. That was a test. I didn't even know her name. She was an innocent human being, goddammit. And so is Ridley Taylor. Clayton, listen to me. You've, you've lost track of the enemy. You can't tell the innocent from the guilty. Fiber optics was mine, Bridger. They stole my vision. They stole everything. Housewife, children. They destroyed my life. You've got to stop. Now. You've got to let us help you. You don't care about people like me. Nobody does. You're stalling for time. You're trying to trace this call. Well, time is up, Bridger. At the last second, they get the trace and flip the switch, and it all goes backwards and fries Clayton. And a machine falls on him, and his eyes are black, and the house is smoking. Bye-bye, tour guide. How does it end? As R.T. is walking away from Bridger, he says, I'll call you. The end. <laughs> now for the list with no name. Number one, best kill. I mean, it's hard to pick. These kills were great. They all had the bleeding eyes and the lightning but one had an escalator, one had a china hutch and some dishwater, and one had an exploding glasses. 
but the guy getting thrown out the window in his rolling chair is still probably my favorite. Two, hottest guy. Sadly, the guys in this movie were not that great, but Richard Chamberlain in a towel wasn't bad, so he gets it. Number three, pick two other movies to go with this one to make a perfect movie night. Uh, I think The Stuff and Halloween 3, The Season of the Witch, because they all have this sort of big company pulling the strings behind the scenes vibe. So I think those three would go well together. The order, I'm not really sure. Four, best scare. Not really scary since we knew it was coming with the phone ringing. Number five, if it doesn't already have a sequel, would you want one? It would be hard to make a sequel to this one, especially nowadays, so I guess not. Number six, special effects rating. They were great. The lightning strike, the bleeding eyes, and all the different additions to the kills were really good. Number seven, kill count. I think it's six. It didn't say anywhere, but I kind of counted in my mind, and I think it's six. Number eight, what made Evil laugh? The dishwater into the China Hutch kill was great. Best dressed. Hmm. Now this is tough. It's not a very high fashion movie, but I guess Bridger. Number 10. Worst dressed. RT. She had some mom jean moments for sure. Number 11. Parents Guide to Profanity from IMDb. Nothing. This is like a super made for TV vibe movie. Number 12. Unanswered questions. Does Bridger stay in the nondescript city with RT? What city are they in? Does the public ever learn the truth? Does the phone company get a new tour guide? I guess we'll never know. <laughs> well, that was Murder by Phone from 1982. So it doesn't feel like a 1982 movie. It feels like a mid-70s made-for-TV movie. But with that being said, I still like this one. It's an interesting concept, if a little dated now. But I bet back then people thought it could happen. I remember back a hundred years ago when I lived in Missouri... They always said, during a thunderstorm, don't shower or use the phone because the house could get hit with lightning and you'd be fried. Old wives tell or not, I don't know, but scary enough for me to never shower or use the phone during a thunderstorm. <laughs> anyway, this movie had good kills, good effects, great soundtrack, and the acting was alright too. And, and, I kind of really identified with the killer. Some of these people needed to go. <laughs> This movie is definitely worth a watch, and maybe a DVD release, hint, hint. Yeah, I'm sure whoever's in charge of that is listening. <laughs> so I give Murder by Phone 8 out of 10 Mickey Mouse phones. Feel free to message me on any of my socials, and all that information is over on my website, evilqueensf.com. But not my phone number. <laughs> well, that's enough reaching out and touching someone horror for me tonight. As always, keep watching scary movies. Bye-bye. Is that the phone? Nat, don't do anything stupid. Hey, I got a PhD.